Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised... Press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. what do we watch? Well, Kevin, we watched two episodes from season two of the Wild Wild West, namely episode five, The Night of the Returning Dead, and episode 16, The Night of the Tottering Tontine. So tell us, how did we become interested in the Wild Wild West? I believe that this is one of those shows that you and I both always kind of heard about, heard whispers about on the street. You know, people saying... Hey, it's you know it's a western show, but it has a lot of weird genre bending weird shit, and it was one of those. And by things, the street, you mean like the retirement homes? Yeah, I mean the retirement. But this homes. show is over fifty years old. 
you know, I, we both hang out with a lot of old people, and they're kind of talking about it, and we're both saying, hey, this sounds like something that we could, could either be up our alley or is totally unwatchable. Because, you know, when something has kind of your interest but it misses the mark, then it's unwatchable, you know, because you just feel embarrassed. Like, this is a disgrace to me personally. But if it's hitting the mark, then it's hitting the mark. But we just we didn't have the bravery to take that step and try it out. When you get right down to it, we're cowards. We're cowardly, sniveling worms. But together, you know, we're, we're stronger as a team. So I think we both kind of talked each other into buying the entire run of the show on eBay or something. Uh, and, and now we're binging it, and we're happier than ever. Strong words. Tell <laughs> us about the show. What is this show? I'm guessing. I don't know how to describe it. Most of our handful of listeners probably our five never listeners heard. don't know what the fuck we're talking about right now, and they're probably about to tune out. I would say that this is like, it's like if James Bond were in the Wild West in the 1800s, and instead of like being a solo guy, M was like his sidekick buddy guy, and they went around together in a big train and. More like, let's, let's say his Q, not M. Q, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm messing up my Bond lore. Yeah, you're embarrassing yourself and Jeez, me. Jeez, it's just bad. Get me out of here. Yes, I've been saying forever. The big vaudeville hook is coming for me now. M. It's not Bernard Lee. <laughs> Jeez. That wouldn't make a lot of sense. And M in this case is actually randomly Uly President Ulysses Grant, so... That wouldn't. He's, no, got he's a, not going out on missions with Ulysses S. Grant. He's got a. He's got shit to do. You're so conf you're confusing me. He goes out on missions. Oh. With a gadget guy. Oh my god, our dog. He goes out on missions with a gadget guy named Artemis. He Gordon. has a name. Artemis Gordon. Mister Artemis Gordon. <laughs> to you. Played by the great Ross Martin. Tell us about this character. He does disguises. He always does little disguises. Not every episode, but most episodes, he's going to be coming in, and you're going to be like, that's Artie Gordon. And then it is. And then he also does little gadgets. And he does, you know, and he's, you know, he's okay in a fight. He's okay with the shootout. But he's more of the kind of operational logistics guy. And as an actor, he will show facial... <laughs> his facial muscles will move. He'll show emotion, as opposed to... The action lead, uh, Robert Conrad, who we last talked about in, uh, in a later effort he did called A Man Called Sloan. He, everything seems, he, he, you might think, well, he's trying to play this character like a stoic. Mm -hmm. But I think he's just a bad actor. He yeah. never has any emotion, never modulates his tone. All he does is throw punches and, and look good. And and wear really tight pants, like incredibly tight pants to the point where I'm like, how is he that good at fighting? Because I would just be worried that my pants would rip in front of everybody. There's, if you watch this, there's no mystery in terms of Robert Conrad. No, and I love it. And here's the thing about it. We saw two episodes recently. We're not going to talk about those specific episodes on this, but we'll, we saw two episodes, one in which Artie seemed to die and one in which Jim seemed to die. And in the one where Artie seems, I'll go do the one with Jim first. When the one where Jim seems to die, it's, it's not even like he's seeing his body. He's just told by somebody, your best friend's dead. And Artie looks devastated. He looks like he doesn't know what to say. He's in shock. He's trying not to cry. 
it's it's just devastating for him. And then in the other one, Artie gets shot in a duel right in front of Jim, dies in his arms, and he stares up like, did I put enough change in the parking meter? I mean, like, he just, he has the same expression when doing a fist fight. He has the same expression when talking to ladies. He has the same expression when receiving orders or, or talking to a villain as he does when his best friend is dying in his arms. And I just think that's incredible. And frankly, his bad acting technique, it, at first I was like, this this guy's just terrible. And then it circled around where it's so prominent and so over the top that it almost feels like a conscious choice. I've read interviews with uh, the late Mr. Conrad where he said his feeling was the action was his thing. Yeah. He'd leave all the acting to Ross Martin, who played Artie. And he, he, that sounds like, oh, he's being kind of funny. He's being self-deprecating. But it's true. Yeah. And it frankly, who cares? It works. It works. That's what I'm saying. You love this show. You- I love this show. I love the, I love these two stupid guys going around in their stupid train, dealing with stupid situations. Every episode feels they bizarre. Do, they do have a train. Should you explain they the have setup? A train. They go. I mean, it's not much to set up. There's, they go around in a train, solving mysteries on behalf of the Grant administration. Not always mysteries. Sometimes they they they're just uh, fighting villains. We're plotting world domination. Yeah, it's just, it's really crazy, and it's a really good time, and it really doesn't take itself terribly seriously. It's not quite as in on the joke as, like, a Batman, but it's, it's like, it's, it's kind of in that vein of, like, we don't know what the fuck's gonna go on, but it's gonna be silly as hell. But it really differentiates itself a lot. Like, we've watched the two episodes we're gonna be talking today. The first one is more of, like, an Agatha Christie-style mystery, and the second one is, like, how would you even describe it, like, kind of an I wouldn't. Epic tale of revenge? I don't even to, know. To give people an idea about the flavor of the show, why don't you tell them the premise of another episode, which we're not going to talk about today, called The Night of the Surreal McCoy? How do I say this? Uh, people jump into paintings. And once they're in paintings, <laughs> so like, if it's like a... Once they're in the painting, so if it's like a painting of an outside of a building, mm-hmm. once you're in the painting, you can go inside the building and ha- and see details and live your little life that's even not shown in the painting itself. You could have a painting family for all they know. This is what this is what the metaverse should be. You, they just jump in and they're there and they can move around and it, there's no, it's the science is not clear, but it's happening. It's not a hoax. No, it's not something where they wake up at the end and be like, oh, we were drugged to think that we were in paintings, but we were just on a set. Nope. It was part of a scheme where, where the bad guys would hang the paintings in a museum where there were like diamonds or something. And then they would jump out of the paintings, steal the diamonds, jump back into the paintings. The paintings would be taken back where they came from, the perfect crime. And they are going to give all the paintings to world leaders so they can spy on the world leaders, blackmail them. So that's what the show is. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, it's incredible. It's not a realistic program. It's not like John Le Carre. You know what? It's one of those things where the realism is overrated, and sometimes I just want to look at silly, dumb shit and have fun. You know, we, we've been we've been saturated with realism. In, 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 in our modern day times, right? Everything has to be realistic. Everything's judged on a curve of how realistic is it. 
And I think that that, you know, misses that a lot of good art is just dumb shit. Let's have some fun. What, you know, that's where that that's where things get really fun because it's like real life sucks. I just want to watch weird tight pants wearing cowboys do weird shit in the, you know, have ridiculous adventures with ghosts and stuff once in a while. I deserve that after a long day's work. Do you? Yes, I do. And so do you. We all do. That's what the Wild Wild West is all about. So tell us, give us the gist, if you will, of the tottering Tom teen. <laughs> Just, um, Was this your first experience with a Tom teen storyline? Never heard a Tom teen storyline before. My, my first experience with the Tom teen concept, uh, MASH, in its later years, became really, really melodramatic. And also very, very full of itself. And so a tontine is something where a group of people will have something, be it money or an object, and they say, what we'll do is we'll save this until all of us but one die, and then the survivor gets it. And so this MASH episode, it was uh, like a bottle of whiskey that a bunch of buddies had during World War One, and... They all die except for the last guy is the, the commanding officer of the MASH unit. And so he stands up and he gives a weeping speech. Yeah, my buddies, they, they were the friends of my youth. And boy, they meant a lot to me. But hey, you guys mean a whole lot more to me. So the friends. And it's like, why, why, why do you have to shit on your old friends by saying the new friends Fuck mean them more? friends. Like, these are people he's known for decades, like his best friend for decades. And these people he met at the MASH unit like uh, nine months ago, well, he, he likes them better? Lanny's kind of like that. We've owned, Lanny actually is here in the room with us because she's scared of the fireworks. So if you hear jingling, that's why. She's a very sweet, sweet dog, great personality. But I think if she ran away tomorrow and met a new family, she'd probably be even more excited to be with them because she's addicted to novelty. And uh, I guess maybe she she's kind of like that character on MASH. <laughs> Just, people always say, oh, the, the acting in this was powerful. I just was crying. But even as a child, when I watch this, why are you insulting your old friends that you've had for decades? You just met these people in the MASH unit. Maybe just say, like, you guys also mean, to, like, why does it have to be a competition among friends? Yes. I'm you with know? you there. It, I'm at a different point in my life, and, you know, it just I have different kinds of friends now, and this is also important. Yeah, I agree with you. That's like ridiculous. if I go to the store and the clerk is nice to me, I'll say, "Hey, you know, you mean more to me than you know my wife back home." Yeah, <laughs> I, could, I could fucking see that. Get a get a Jolene <laughs> situation going on all of a sudden. That's just that's fine. That's just <laughs> fine. <laughs> You're always talking about Dolly Parton. <laughs> it's a good song, but I I yeah I I think I've never done a Tontine story that before. The only thing I can think of that's remotely close to that is this kind of reminded me of the uh, Basil Rathbone, Nigel Bruce, uh, Sherlock Holmes movie, The House of Fear, and that has the good comrades who are not communist spies who have infiltrated British intelligence. They actually are just some old guys who all have different professions, and they uh, have a, you know, they, they have an agreement to kind of share their wealth. That's not a tontine. They're more of like, let's pool our resources in sort of some weird semi-retirement home situation. 
but it's it's kind of a similar thing of like this seems like it would be good for a murderer to latch onto and kill everybody else. So why are we doing it? I think if your financial planner comes to you and says, "Oh, you know, have you considered a tontine? Like, you just run. You know, he's obviously a murderer. Get the fuck out of there." So let's say you, me, and Lanny decide to have a tontine. What do you think the object would be that the last survivor among us would get? Uh, something that we'd all like, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I'm just, the odds are in my favor here. But <laughs> no, no offense to everybody else here. So you're predicting you're going to outlive Lanny. At the very least. And me. So what, what would you like? Your collection of sad sacks. I think that's the whole reason you married me. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a sack digger. <laughs> so, how does the Tontine concept enter into the wild, wild west premise? Well, you know, these men, the Artie and Jim, are Secret Service agents, and they are tasked with guarding a some important guy. I don't even remember, and he is like, well, you know, people are trying to kill me left and right, but you know what I really need to do, Jim West? I need to go to my meeting of the Tom Teen Trio or whatever, how many fuck, a bunch of people. the Tom uh, Whatever, trio. I'm just trying to think of alliteration. Sue me. And they go... Like maybe the Tom Teen Teens? Or like the Tom Teen wacky... Team. The Tom Team. The Tom Teammates. And they go, and I got to go to this meeting, and oh, it's in a spooky mansion on the cliffs of wherever, I guess, like California, and, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And and Jim West is like, you know, like, people are trying to fucking kill you, and you're in this fucking stupid financial planning thing, Obvi- you know, like, that that seems like a problem. And he's like, you know, the president didn't tell you to, you know, keep me locked up. I, I can do what I want. So he and Artie go to this thing, and it's, like, obvious that... You know, people are trying to kill each other here. And people start dying. So and there's like some sort of plot contrivance. They can't leave. Yeah, oops. Uh, I, I shut my big mega door closed. And uh, the only way to... We can't get out now until, you know, wherever. And, like, it's 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 all contrived to keep them locked up. And they're on the cliffs. So, like, they go out the window. They go down the cliff. So, so you know, the meeting continues and then the one ornery guy who keeps on being like, can't we get on with the meeting? You know, you had, everyone's had to deal with one of those people in a Zoom meeting before, I'm sure. And very down to business. And he's like, all right, call this meeting to order. And then boom, he gets stabbed through the chair and he's dead. And they're, you know, that's that's how it kicks things off. So, you know, people are going to be dropping like flies. And I'm loving it. Because here we have a, um, a, 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 one thing that you pointed out, the art direction on the show is terrific. I feel like they do a lot with probably a pretty abysmal budget, TV budget. Everything just feels, I mean, it's a TV thing, but like everyone, I think it's very colorful. It feels very like sumptuous in its own way, especially considered with other TV programs. And this, this uh, mansion's no different. It's, it's all, you know, secret passageways and, you know, stormy shots of the outside. And I just, I loved it. I loved it aesthetically. It was a very silly episode. Not a good episode. Not well written. But it spoke to me. Because I love that shit. And there's like all sorts of twists and turns where in every episode there's several scenes where uh, Jim West, played by Robert Conrad, gets into lots of fist fights that go on just a little too long. And there's some of that in there. 
Is this the one where he uh, like goes down a slide? Yeah, he gets he gets. <laughs> it's this kind of show. He he goes off to investigate by himself. Always a great idea when people are just getting murdered, right? And you're the one assigned to protect them. Just go wander off down into the wine cellar. Great plan. And he uh, gets dropped by a bunch of guys in executioner masks. It's it feels like a bad dream. And then gets hogtied and put on a little conveyor belt railroad track thing that instead of just murdering this man, like they they have no problem murdering everybody else. No, they have to do this. They put him on this railroad track thing and then they explain to him what they're going to do and they put a bunch of rockets on it with him and they're like, we're going to rocket you off the cliff on the secret railroad and oh, if you thought maybe you'd fall in the water and survive, we also rigged the platform you're on to explode midair <laughs> which just seems a you're doing too much but also b you're doing too little maybe just explode him in front of you so you can check because then they also make sure to just walk storm away Im- immediately once the rockets are set so he gets off immediately but it's it's one of those things and 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 things just get weirder from there there's all these different secret rooms in this place murder rooms just rooms to you know, commit different kinds of murders basically and it's like, who built this? And he asks the guy who owns the house, and he's like, I just let the architect do whatever. <laughs> yeah, this one's this one's delightful. Artie is doing one of his stupider disguises in this. Or I shouldn't even say that. It's one of his more boring disguises. He's just pretending to be a Scottish accountant or something. And there's a woman actress who's like a spiritualist. There's her boxer boyfriend slash bodyguard. There's the sinister creepy laughing owner of the house there's a, uh, a a sinister european nobleman there's a guy who writes stories about murders it's just the gang's all here people are dropping like flies it's great and then it turns out it, it, do we even tell the ending let people watch it themselves. yeah I'll, I'll let you watch it i mean i'll just say this the ending twist is stupid it's dumb it's insulting it doesn't. It doesn't justify anything. If you like the ambiance, you'll like this. If you if you, if it doesn't sound like something you'd like, you probably won't like this because it's stupid. So it's not the best episode. But, um, but yeah, it's it's. If you like an, I mean, I don't really think the premise of Wild Wild West is against an Agatha Christie style mystery, but it's not really for it either. So it's also it's kind of doing a different genre. But I I love a show that's willing to just be, hey, we're. This isn't what we're supposed to do. This isn't what you wanted, but it's what we're going to (laughs) do. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. 
Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Just dragging everyone kicking and screaming into the mystery genre. I love it. What's the other episode we're going to talk about? It's uh, It sounds almost like uh, one of those famous zombie movies, but it's, it's the night of the returning dead. <laughs> They've uh, gone, and they're coming right back. This episode, directed by uh, Richard Donner, who you rave about is the director of The Goonies. Yeah. Who you swooned over when he directed the Lethal Weapon films, and who you were indifferent when he directed the first Superman movie. Who stars in this? What percentage of the Rat Pack appears in this this uh, story. So I two out of five. Two out of five. Two out of five. Two fifths. Pretty good. Well don't say it's pretty good until we, we reveal that one of the rat packers who appear is Peter Lawford. And you said that's the least talented rat packer. Yes. This is the one. I mean should we He's the mouse of the rat pack. Should 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 I tell sorted things I know about Peter Lawford? Or should we just keep it family how sorted, friendly? How sorted are they on the scale? Why don't you blurt it out and then it's really bad? I'll edit it out. So a, a woman who was once married to him wrote a book once. I believe it was called the Peter Lawford story. Jesus contains all sorts of dirt on him. This is what I'm going to do to you at some point. Oh, sorry, did I say that out loud? <laughs> She mentioned in this book, this is something, I've not read this book in decades, but this is a detail that always stuck out to me, other than like the drug use and all this other stuff. He had a little, we'll call it a toy. Uh Uh-oh. Should I stop there? Hit, hit, Hit me. That he liked to plug into the cigarette lighter on his car. And this toy was designed to provide uh, uh, stimulation to a man that would feel similar to the uh, oral pleasures a woman might provide. And she says he would do this while he was driving. Blowjobs on the go. And that it made her very nervous and she felt it was arguably unsafe. That's fair. She, she was being, that's fair. She was being a good wife. That's what she said when you made me do stuff. <laughs> And I threw out your blow-on-the-go contraption that you'd hooked up to our car. You're a disgrace! So he's the least talented member. So wait, what happened? What was the upshot? Did he crash the car? She was just unhappy about it. (laughs) Isn't that kind of sordid? Men. Yeah, that's pretty sordid. And, like, how desperate. Just try to be a little bit less horny. You know what I mean? Like, just stop. let's 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 be realistic. Men. Stop it how now. Be, how can you be less horny? Just take a fucking cold shower. Think unsexy thoughts and calm the fuck down. Don't be driving while getting a fake blowjob. 
That's unsafe for other drivers. It's unsafe for yourself. Come on, we all deserve better here. So that, that always stuck in my mind. Uh, the other member of the Rat Pack who appears in this. Sammy Davis Jr. You always like to call him Samala. You in call honor him of his uh, conversion you, to a he Judaism. He calls all of the members of the Rat Pack by their first names and nicknames. Like, he knows them. It's embarrassing. After I told you that story about Peter Lawford, don't you feel like you know him a little bit better? <laughs> I know him way more than I wanted to. <laughs> so, you said something interesting about Sammy Davis Jr. Because Kevin, of course, is a massive Rat Pack fan, as you can I, tell. I wouldn't say that. He's a massive Rat Pack fan. I'm a fan of Mr. Sinatra. And the Rat Pack. I think the Rat Pack was a trivialization of Mr. Sinatra's talent and the talents of the others. It, it I, I think Mr. Sinatra was a true artist. Now you're calling him Mr. Sinatra because earlier you're calling him Frank and I made fun of you for it. He was a true artist and the Rat Pack is just guys just having fun and making a joke out of everything. So the Rat Pack performances, the, uh, they're not really a lot of fun and the humor hasn't aged well. <laughs> That's always good. So you said you said though something interesting about uh, Sammy Davis. I'm Jr. always saying interesting things. Shut the interesting fuck. comments just drop from my Jesus mouth Christ. like pearls from swine. That's not the expression. <laughs> but it made you think, didn't it? It was kind of an interesting, <laughs> thing. kind of a disgusting image. So how lucky oh you are to have God. access to I this can't bridge. even do it anymore. What did you say about Sammy Davis Jr. in the context of the Rat Pack? He's arguably the most talented member of the Rat Pack. I feel that Frank Sinatra obviously was the best singer. He was a better singer than Sammy. But uh, uh, Dave, Sammy Davis Jr. had more all-around talent. He could do impressions. He could sing very well. He could dance. He was just an all-around talent, uh, the likes of which only comes along maybe once or twice in a generation. Damn. A remarkably talented man. I think you were impressed by his acting in this episode. I was impressed by his acting. I was a little bit worried at first, as we'll talk about. But he pulled through and was a very good, it was a good actor, very entertaining performance all around. Were you worried for racist reasons? I was worried because I thought this was going in a racist direction. As many of the shows we unfortunately watch, you know, these are older shows and sometimes you're having a great time and then racism, racism hits and it just kind of takes you out of it. And you just feel like, should I even be watching this? Like, this is just gross. But in this, they, they spun it back around. Tell us about it. Uh, well, this starts out with, uh, Artie and Jim are you know, going, you know, they're, they're fucking around. It's actually kind of an impressive, uh, on scene location. They're in some, somewhere in the West with this kind of impressive Valley and this impressive cave formation. And they're chasing a ghost in a Confederate uniform. <laughs> and they're, you know, seemingly being helped out by the local sheriff and, uh, you know, a prominent man whose I guess property this is on. And now, now, what's interesting is that oftentimes in these shows, they will be teaming up with local law enforcement or some local prominent citizen who they run into. So that's kind of what you expect to see. So we're starting a media race um, with that. And they, you know, the, the, the prominent landowner who is played by uh, the, what's your face? What's my face? What's his face? Peter Lawford. Peter Lawford. He's talking about, well, my, my, uh, my stage 
coach or like my like horse helper. I don't know what the word is. Stagehand? No, no. My horse helper. <laughs> Jesus. My what what This is what I've put up with. Folks. My stableman? Stable sta- like the guy who works at the stables. Whatever. Jesus Christ. <laughs> The guy who does stuff with horses. I I don't know why I can't think of the word. And you're not helping me. You're just no, looking at not. me. Ju- you're just looking at me judgmentally. Just just a fine fine place to be for me. He's his name's Jeremiah. He's really in tune with nature. He goes out and plays the flute. And then Wes is like, well, you know, he's going around and playing the flute. And this this Confederate guy's coming out. He must be involved. And you're like, okay. I remember thinking at the time, that's a little bit harsh, like this kind of jumping to conclusions, but, you know, whatever. And they go, and the, the guy who works, the Jeremiah, is is Sammy Davis Jr. And at first he's saying, I don't know anything, I just go out and play my flute, I like to, like, talk to the animals. I'm very, I'm, you know, I'm just a nice guy, I just like the animals, and I'm just playing my flute, and this ghost comes out, and I just kind of ignore it. And they're like, we don't believe you. You're involved. And, like, throw him in the stone smokehouse. Okay, what the fuck? A little bit harsh, right? And then we go into town, and we meet uh, Peter Lawford's friends. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, did you recognize any of the actors who played any of his friends? They looked vaguely familiar, some of them, but no. One of them uh, helped out Jed Clampett when Jed Clampett found oil on his property. Oh, yeah! He was the oil man. Yeah. Who, uh, who Jed Clampett's sister was flirting with. Yeah. I knew I recognized it. Yeah, he was the mustache guy was the one I really recognized. I think he was the judge. He was a little less uh, honorable man in this one. Yeah, he, he, was, uh, he was not doing such good things. Because it turns out, we find out early on, that... It's an, it, The guys who are typically helping Artie and Jim are actually bad guys. They killed some people a few years ago. This is a cold case investigation. And Sammy is actually helping out. Yes. Given that they threw Sammy in this stone smokehouse to like do sensory deprivation to him while in an interrogation, and that they're, they were yelling at him and stuff, and they were pushing him around, I was worried... I, I was worried. Like I, I was just like, I don't like that. I, you know, if you're gonna have Sammy Davis Jr., have some respect and let him do his thing. But quickly they cleared that up and they revealed that Sammy Davis Jr. is part of the sting operation, and he's doing all these bits. He's doing all these imitations of, you know, Ross Martin and Robert Conrad. He's, I mean, he's doing everything except like a, a you know, a song and dance basically. And and that's and that's fun to see. He's very he's a very good entertainer. He's very charismatic. Very talented man. I feel like he could have carried his own detective show or something. Wouldn't that have been fun? I would have watched it. Yeah, like a Hollywood detective or something, like who's also in show business. I would have watched that. Of course, uh after this episode was completed, he and Peter Lawford enjoyed working with Richard Donner so much that supposedly that's why they asked Mr. Donner to direct their uh film <laughs> Salt and Pepper. What's that about? I have not seen that. That film, of course, is uh, about, it's kind of a buddy picture with uh, Peter Lawford playing Christopher Pepper. 
And Sammy Davis Jr. playing Charles Salt. <laughs> they are hip Soho nightclub owners. <laughs> uh, can I just say that Charles Pepper and Christopher Salt sound like weird names that you'd give our salt and pepper shaker? <laughs> Please pass the Christopher Salt on you. It's like a spy story. So not, it's not quite detectives. Well, maybe we could review it on the show. Is it is it any good? It sounds like it's not, but I don't know. This on paper, Wild Wild West sounds like. Why the fuck are these idiots recommending it? You love Sammy. You love this director. Do, you do tolerate you, Peter Lawford. Do you like it? I've never seen it. You've never seen. You've been. You've been too. I'm not gonna go anywhere near this thing. You don't want to get a spice burn. <laughs> but I'm willing to watch it. Well, maybe we'll do it if we're brave at some point. The sequel to this film. You want to guess who directed it? Steven Spielberg. No, I don't. Jerry Lewis. Oh, Jesus. <sighs> wow. So, yeah, this is a this is So, yeah, it basically they they do a sting. What to you? I think you and I turned to face each other a few times and said this one's actually legitimately, maybe even unironically good. For you, what worked about this episode to make it almost, to push it from ironically silly fun time good to, like, that's just good? I think the direction by Richard Donner was a cut above the typical uh, directions uh, efforts put forth in this program. And I think uh, Sammy Davis Jr. in this episode gave uh, by far the best performance we've seen by anyone on this program. And something about having the bad guys be like, you know, this group of prominent citizens in town who did something horrible years ago. They murdered a family to get money, and now they're all plotting to keep that money. That felt like a little bit more formidable than some of the stuff, because like, it felt more realistic. Yeah, and they were powerful men. Yeah. They were powerful men. They were desperate. And they could have committed, uh, they could have killed Sammy and the others to keep them quiet, and they could have gotten away with it with their resources. Yeah, and... And and, and at one point, uh, Peter Lawford is engaged to marry a, a woman, and they realize, well, we're going to have to kill her too. And Peter Lawford has to kind of accept that. Yeah, and he's freaking out, and, you know, I love how the Secret Service's plan is like, you know what would solve this cold case? You know what would solve this cold case? Let's just pretend. To, let's do. Let's let's be the Scooby villains. We'll be the Scooby. You know, kind of turn that formula on its head. We'll pretend to be ghosts in order to scare the guy into confessing. I don't know why the police don't use that trick more often now. And also, we haven't noted one of the big plot points of the show. Are you talking about the horses? Sammy Davis Jr. can talk to animals and give them commands, which they follow. I kind of missed that, but yeah, now that I'm thinking about that, that was what they were doing with that, wasn't it? They didn't have the guts to come out and say it directly. At one point, they were like, hey, guys, let me know when I'm supposed to do this. And, like, he's straining, he's sweating, the horses are going crazy, and you and I actually turned back the scene to try to figure out what he was doing, what 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 was problem. But, you know, he basically commands the horses at some point get together y'all you know get run away get the fuck out of here and bring back some wild stallions too i guess and then run through the town 
and pound away at this courthouse where me and the bad guys will be while I'm kind of speaking in the voice of the dead. And, you know, and that's that happens and it freaks the bad guys out and it makes them make some mistakes. I'm curious, when did this episode originally air? It originally aired on October 14th. 1966. The character of uh, Animal Man uh, debuted in DC Comics in 1965. I guess he primarily just borrowed the powers of animals, not so much talk to them. Who is he played by? He was a DC comic book character. Oh, so... For some reason I was remembering that he could talk to animals. Well, says in some appearances, he can talk to animals that enter their minds. So it was kind of a similar character. Do you think they were inspired by this episode? It came first. Oh, so you think this episode was inspired by them? I don't know. I mean, let's be blunt. It's not a really original idea. No. And the, the horse thing Dr. is... Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it hadn't been done decades before. You lofting. You're just how you're just waiting for your gritty, grim Doctor Doolittle uh, reboot. So you do if you when if you were going to reboot Doc, I'm giving you no. Give me the grim and gritty Doctor. I'm not going to do a grim and gritty. I was kidding. That would be awful. Just have fun with it, but don't don't give a dragon. Had an a anima. tragic yeah. Don't yeah. give a dragon an anima, which is what happened in the one Kevin saw in theaters for some reason. Robert Downey Jr. Passion Project. And it's also the title of your memoir. <laughs> Don't give a dragon an enema. Trust me! <laughs> <laughs> Nuff said! It's, what, it's, what, it's the most common <laughs> remark made by people after they meet you. <laughs> Are you saying that I'm the dragon? <laughs> And people are just coming up trying to give me enemas. I don't know. It's not even funny. Do you want to unpack that? <laughs> Should we unpack that? I think we're just going to leave it. So Sammy is <laughs> a talented man. Very talented. This was a fun episode. I felt a lot better about it once I figured out that he was in on it and he was, you know, he was part of the gang and that made me feel better. And you could tell that, like, well, I mean, again, Robert Conrad doesn't emote, but uh, Ross Martin looks delighted by Sam. Sammy Davis Jr.'s antics, so that's kind of fun. In the end, when Sammy rides off into the sunset, uh, Robert Conrad calls him friend. <laughs> yeah, they get all the bad guys by putting together... They're, they're captured and locked in the basement uh, with this woman, and then they, they escape by putting together a big cannon of spices to spray in the guy's face. <laughs> like a, a veritable McCormick array of spices they're like oh paprika salt pepper oh boy and then when the guys come in they fire it at them and then they take all their guns and then they run and and <coughs> and the one the the peter guy he he wanders around and then sammy davis jr uh, puts the scarecrow together and tricks him into confessing that he murdered a family by setting them on fire to steal their wealth and there's a weird implicit thing where they're like oh the guy they murdered, he was a, a, a Confederate. Did you get that? Yeah. And, but like they said, it, this is before the war happened. So why would the he? Why would the ghost of this guy who was murdered, antebellum, be riding around in a Confederate uniform? 
See, now I was troubled earlier because they mentioned that this Confederate guy was killed 13 years earlier. And I thought these stories were taking place circa 1870. Basically, they said, okay, this was like the the reason why the, this guy was like fleeing with his family from this town because the war was coming. Meanwhile, they're in the West. So, I mean, I don't know what that means. What and and, and, and if it's thirteen years, uh, let's say it's eighteen sixty one, then we're, we're in eighteen seventy four, right? Seems a little bit late in the game. Yeah, when did, Grant was elected in sixty nine, I thought these took place in like eighteen seventy. Yeah, that would have made more sense. Jesus, I don't know. The whole it's it none nothing makes sense, and it doesn't even matter. It's one of those shows like you, you don't even have fun picking it apart because like it's just meant to be enjoyed. You're just there to have a good time, truly. It's like the mist. It's like the uh, mystery science theater intro. It's it's just a show you can really just relax. Like I, and the, and then this is the. It's just so stupid. It's just amazing. I love it. And you're someone who's usually guesses how stories and stuff are going to turn out. You remarked often when you're watching these, I have no idea where this is going. Yeah, I have no idea where this is fucking going. It really, like, it'll start as one thing and then morph into something else and then morph into yet another thing. And it's just, it's just delightful. Love it. Five-star final. I would say that the Wild Wild West is the Wild Wild Best. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore to underscore me underscore. And at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T-O. Thanks, Thanks so, so much, much for, for listening. listening.